From props to parlays to totals and spreads, it's time for Odds and End Zones, a feature of the Fans First Sports Network. It's time to sweat it out. Here's your hosts, Ian St. Clair and Adam Malnati. Well, Ian, the last time you and I actually had a chance to sit down and speak, the Broncos still had, I guess you could call it a winning record, and now they have what is typical for us these days, a losing record. Luckily, it's all preseason, and we don't have to worry about any of it. But uh, at 0-2 in the preseason with two last-minute, last-second losses, I don't know. Positivity, is it there? Is it not there? Uh, there are some things to be positive about, but nobody likes losing. Especially Sean Payton, which is the message that he delivered after the first preseason loss by saying, first off, losing is unacceptable. And I think that's the culture change that we've been discussing about Sean Payton since the Broncos made the trade for him. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't mean anything the guys who gave up the last second touchdowns or points or whatever aren't even going to be playing for the team. So it's not something to get worked up about. To me, the biggest, the biggest takeaway from the the first two preseason games is the improvement from the Cardinals game to the 49ers game. And that's especially true for the starters on offense and defense. We saw improvement. And I think that's what you want to see as a fan in the preseason with a new coach, with new coaches, with a new culture, with new players. To me, that's where the focus should be on. Yeah. It's, we're not the Ravens, right? We're not watching the, the, you know, sort of 25 game win streak in the playoff or in the preseason, excuse me. And, uh, it's, you know, the, I I was watching, uh, Rich Eisen, uh, earlier today when I was home for lunch, which I get to do now, and I'm not even going to get into that, but, uh, he was talking about how serious that preseason game got between the Redskins or dang it, the, the, the commanders I'm out, I'm on a roll today, the commanders and the Ravens and how it so you're did. Gonna be, call, you're going to call them the chargers, right? I, I, I might. Yeah. I might well, of, of San, San Diego, San Diego, San Diego, Yes. Uh, discovered by the Germans in 1903. The, the idea of a serious sort of take on preseason is, is foreign to us. And that's okay. The idea, as you put forth, is improvement from one game to the next. And with this three-game format, it is very different. The, uh, the the way that it looks is the games aren't nearly as important to some people, but they are a, a way for us to start to judge how Sean Payton is implementing his offense, how the defense is adjusting to Vance Joseph, what this team is going to look like, how it's going to be managed. But then that move from how the starters did against the Cardinals, which was eh, right? I mean, Russell Wilson was okay. The offensive line was horrendous. There there were some moments to the game against the 49ers where it was better. You saw the improvement. The offensive line was a little better. The uh, pass game was better. Russell Wilson looked better. The connection between his receivers was better. The connection between him and Jerry Judy in particular was better. Those are the kinds of things that you want to see. You're missing out on some of it with the way that now it's the uh, the practices, those joint practices. So it's not the first 
second, third, and fourth preseason game. It's first, second preseason game, joint practice. And then that fourth preseason game is, my guess, going to be a nothing game. So, uh, or third preseason game, whatever it may be. So we got to see some of that improvement, and that's important. But it also sort of lends us to some questions about what do we still have to look forward to as fans as we're going into the season that we haven't seen from the Denver Broncos as they get closer to the regular season. One thing that we've already seen, and this is something that we've been talking about for seven years, I think, is in short yardage situations, how incapable the Broncos offense has been picking up first downs. It could be third and two, third and one, and the Broncos don't get it. That's how bad the offense has been. Well, in the preseason game against the 49ers, there were four or five opportunities with the starters, with Samaj P. Ryan, or with Russell Wilson doing designed bootlegs, designed runs, which is huge in my mind, or Javante Williams, who the fact that he played a preseason game after that injury that he suffered is freaking incredible. But they've been able, they picked up those first downs. They were able to move the ball. That's something that's been foreign in Broncos country since Peyton Manning retired, which is being able to move the ball and get sustained drives. And we saw that on Saturday against the 49ers. But I told you this before we started recording. The big thing that I want to see, and we haven't seen it yet, is the aggressiveness. You know it's coming because we saw it for 15 years with Sean Payton and Drew Brees, where Drew Brees would take deep shots, whether it was to Jimmy Graham, any of the receivers. The deep shots are coming. And what's the one thing that was said about Russell Wilson when he came over from Seattle to Denver? He's one of the best deep throwers in the league. It's it's exactly what we're hoping for, right? That is the thing that as fans, we, we are hoping that Russell Wilson can get back to what it is that he's known for. And throughout his career in Seattle, there were, I mean, there were games where they would struggle, they would struggle, they would struggle, and then all of a sudden, they would have a huge play, a big, uh, a big touchdown from, you know, forty-five yards. Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett or whoever, you know, it was one of those things that you just expected it. You didn't know if it was going to be early on or if it was going to be late, but he was going to hit a big play, and that big play was going to turn the game around, and it was going to have a major impact. That is what the Denver Broncos need from Russell Wilson moving forward. He has to become the quarterback that he was in Seattle. He has to be maybe not as good as, obviously as you get older, you're never going to just maintain forever, but he has to find a way to be close to what he was in Seattle and fit into what it is that Sean Payton wants to do. And you're right. We haven't seen it yet. I doubt we're going to see it in a, in a preseason game. They've only got one left. We won't see it in joint practices because they're joint practices and they're doing other things and we don't get to watch those like we do a preseason game. So it'll be something that we more than likely get to see 
when the season starts. But if that can be incorporated into what we've already seen, which is a pretty good run game, right? The ability to move the football and now that quick strike capability, that is something that will be the mark of a good offense. And you brought up the Peyton Manning era. And one of the things that I always thought was fascinating about what Peyton Manning did and that particular team, especially going back, you go back to 2012, 2013 in particular, a lot of those quick strike touchdowns to Demarius Thomas or Julius Thomas were thrown to the outside on those bubble screens. And then those two guys would just take off. It wasn't that long ball down the field. So even for us, the quick strike capability that we are accustomed to or that we long for, right? That nostalgia is from an era when it was bubble screen and go. Or maybe you had an Eric Decker long throw, that kind of thing. But it wasn't. It and then wasn't he would trip what, on the yard line. And then he would, yeah. Well, the, you know, he he constantly was getting tripped up by the yard markers. Uh, they're raised. The paint raises them just a touch. But <laughs> it's just awful. But Russell Wilson will do that in a different way. It's quick strike, but it's not bubble screens. We're not looking for bubble screens to Jerry Judy or or Cortland Sutton. It's going to be a long throw down the field and you have to use your speed and your ability to, to contest balls and those kinds of things. And we'll see it. I believe that's something that's going to come out, but it's not something we're going to see until week one or week two of the regular season. Since we're a betting show, yeah, this are. isn't really betting. This is more fantasy. You mentioned Rich Eisen. He had Peter King on, on Monday. And Rich Eisen asked Peter King about the Sean Payton-Russell Wilson relationship. And Peter King said something interesting. He said, I know a lot of people are in their fantasy drafts right now. He thinks that Broncos receivers are going to have some, some big numbers. That's per Peter King. And he said he mentioned one in particular, and that was Jerry Judy. So as people are having their drafts or about to have them, keep an eye on Jerry Judy. I got to tell you, it's interesting you bring that up because I had this conversation with my son. Now, if you know, if you've been listening to the show for a long time, you know that uh, I do fantasy football, you do fantasy football. My son, who is 11, is going to be in his third season of doing fantasy football on his own, right? He's got his own team. He's in a, a league with his uh, his travel baseball team. So it's these 11 boys and then the moms. And he and I were talking about whether or not he should stick to the strategy that he used last year, which was to which was to use the quarterback stack with Russell Wilson, and he went with Cortland Sutton. And I I am in that same camp, I think, as, as Peter King. Maybe not the stack. I don't know how much I trust Russell Wilson, but it, someone's got to throw them those footballs. I, I told him, I said, I don't know. I think that might be a sneaky play. You could get those guys later on. You could go. You could draft a, a quarterback that isn't Russell Wilson probably in the eighth or ninth round and then snag Russell Wilson in the 10th or 11th round. That's that's how I feel about that. And I got to get in and do some mock drafts. But he kind of looked at it as maybe maybe you sneak a pick there. You sneak Russell Wilson in the 8th or ninth round, 10th round, 11th round, depending on how he's falling, and you snag a Broncos receiver earlier on. Now you've got that, st- that there's a stack there that nobody else is looking to go for. 
because of the whole Russell Wilson just barely threw more touchdowns than bathrooms that he had uh, in his house last year. I, I think that could win you some fantasy leagues. Now, what will happen is somebody will do that. They won't win. They'll let me know that I screwed them over, and I won't really care because who am I, right? Well, it's interesting you mentioned Russell Wilson because Peter King actually said he thinks Russell Wilson is due for a huge bounce back year. Now, if that happens, we've said multiple times that the comeback player of the year is going to go to DeMar Hamlin. Yes, it is. I mean, the fact that he's back on the field, he is going to get comeback player of the year. But there's potential to get really, 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 really good value at him as MVP or offensive player of the year. Because if he's going to have that type of year, we always talk about value. He is going to be a huge, huge long shot to win the MVP and offensive player of the year. I think and I'm just going to, I'm kind of going back through my, uh, my list of things that we've, we talked about over the course of the uh, uh, spring and summer. And uh, I, I remember talking about, um, gosh, where is it here? Hang on now. Uh, Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson back in March, fourth best odds for comeback player of the year. You're not getting that. You're not getting that. But you are definitely going to want to look at some of his other like prop bets and things like that. I'm trying to find the one. I could just look it up on what I did because I know I placed the bet, but I'm looking for it uh, just to see what I wrote down here because I know I got some good stuff. But it was something like right, Russell. Well, right now, Russell Wilson is plus forty five hundred at DraftKings to win the MVP. Value, value, right there. I took. I got. I got one on Russ. Um, a prop bet plus three thirty five hundred as a league leader in passing yards. Is he gonna be the league leader in passing yards? I don't know. But plus 3,500, you throw a couple bucks at that, and all of a sudden the Broncos blow up because Sean Payton comes in and fixes whatever the problem is. You just made yourself a nice chunk of change. It's really hard to complain about that. So it, it is one of those things where if you can find some of those prop bets with those good values, that's definitely something you want to want to lean towards. Uh, I know I had one with uh, – uh, something like touchdown passes. I can't remember. I could look at my, again, I could look at it, but I'm not going to, cause I don't want to. I also still have a PS2 defensive player of the year at plus 4,000. So that's another one. If it's still sitting there like that, I, I think that might've come, that had to have come down by now. Uh, just because the, the word on him is out. If you will, people know about Patrick's or 10. Uh, I know that's if off you, topic. If, if you want even better value, Russell Wilson is plus 15,000 to win offensive player of the year. Now there's your value. Put a dollar on that. You can win 150 bucks. Just, just bet a dollar on that. You walk away with 150 bucks. Now to be fair, there is a reason to be fair. To be fair there is a reason that the sports books put those odds the way that they are. And it's because they want you to put a little money on it. Cause they feel pretty confident that it won't hit, but that's, that's the fun of it, right? You get to, you know, as, as the saying goes from Ocean's Eleven, most of the time the house wins. But if you hit big that one time and you take the house, that's what it's all about. So within reason, within your limits, 
responsible gambling. Make sure we throw that out there. Yes, definitely bet within your limits. Bet with your head, not over it. So I'm, I want to just change gears a little bit here. You talked a little bit about the defense in a, before we started recording and some of the things that we might see moving forward. And I, I think that the defense could be, and it, it, the defense has been what has carried the Denver Broncos over the last seven years, eight years, right? It's been it's nine years, 10 years, right? You, as long as, uh, as you can think, go back for uh, even during uh, the good offensive seasons under Peyton Manning, the defense was very good. And the defense can be very good again this year. And you brought up something that I thought was interesting, and it had to do with Randy Gregory and the edge. And so I'll let you kind of go ahead and expand on that. But this could be an area where uh, games get changed and the offense gets more opportunities. And it's all dependent on Randy Gregory staying healthy. For the first four weeks of the season last year, before he got hurt against the Raiders, we saw what he's capable of doing. He had two forced fumbles, three sacks, a couple of tackles for loss. If he's able to stay on the field, and this is the biggest bugaboo with him, as you always say, the best ability is availability. If Randy Gregory is able to stay on the field, paired with Frank Clark and Jonathan Cooper and Baron Browning when he comes back from injury, that position has the potential to be a difference maker on the defense because you have one of the best secondaries in football led by Pat Sertan, arguably the best cornerback in football right now, Justin Simmons, Caden Stearns coming back from injury, Kareem Jackson, Dabari Mathis, who continues to flash in the preseason and in training camp. Zach Allen on the defensive line has been a disruptor. He was, he played and you want to talk about improvement he got better from the first preseason game against the Cardinals and the 49ers. He got, I, I thought he was way better. But the edge unit has the potential to be a disrupting unit for this defense. Just go back to the Super Bowl year. Go back to Von Miller and Demarcus Ware and Shaq Barrett even and and the impact that they had. And yes, you had one of the, the best secondaries in NFL history for one season in the no-fly zone. Absolutely. But the ability to get to the quarterback, the ability to disrupt the offensive flow, it wins you games. It absolutely does. We saw it in overtime against the Bengals in that 2015 season. DeMarcus Ware gets a strip sack and ends the game. Was it overtime or was it just the end of the game? I can't remember now. But those are the kinds the of end things. Of the game. It was the end of the game. That's right. Those are the kinds of things that will that will allow the offense to grow into the season and get wins early on that maybe don't come because the offense is really good, because the offense is still trying to find itself, but they happen. And then as the offense continues to get better and continues to to grow in Sean Payton's new system throughout the regular season. Now you've got a, a team that is dangerous going into the playoffs, perhaps, right? We, we don't know what's going to happen as far as that goes, and I'm not making any season predictions yet, although I guess we might get to something like that later on uh, as we get closer to the start of the season. But it feels pretty good to think that you might have the type of disruption off the edge that will win you games, that will create havoc and chaos, that turns into turnovers that turns into points either 
defensive points or points that come from the offense getting the ball in good field position. And I think that's the thing that we want to see from the defense is turnovers. For as good as the defense has been the last five, six years, they haven't been very good at creating turnovers. So if that's if that's able to improve under Vance Joseph, which is still weird to say, <laughs> that that's that's going to be what leads this team for greater potential to have success, to set up Russell Wilson and Sean Payton's offense, to have short fields, to have extra possessions. I mean, the last thing you want to do as a as a team playing against a Sean Payton coach team is give his offenses extra possessions. And the first thing you want to do as a defense is give, give your offense as many options as opportunities as possible. And, you know, it's interesting you bring up in the past they haven't forced turnovers. I felt like last year uh, they the defense forced a ton of fumbles that they never recovered. The, the ball got knocked on the ground by this defense, by, by a lot of the same players that are going to be out there this season, and it just bounced the wrong direction. A lot of that is luck. A lot of that is, you know, the ball bounces out and then bounces right back into the hands of the offense. You can't do anything about that. But disruption in a way that, you know, causes balls to get knocked up in the air, causes balls to get put on the ground, those kinds of things, eventually the ball is going to bounce your way. And so the defense is going to have a pretty big impact moving forward. Speaking of defense, we're going to shift gears again here. Uh, we're going to, we're going to, I hopefully get some news soon. Uh, you and I are kind of sitting here hoping to, to see some news, um, from the hall of fame as, uh, momentum seems to be building in a positive direction for Randy Gratishar, one of the greatest defensive players, I think in NFL history and, and perhaps the greatest defensive player in Denver Broncos history. I don't know. You got Von Miller in that conversation. You can certainly uh, talk about Steve Atwater, who's in the hall of fame already. Um, but, but Randy Gratishar leader of the orange crush defense feels like he might be the, the, the guy with the momentum to go in when the seniors committee makes their decision. And that's the hope. I mean, we talked about it a few weeks ago, maybe it was a month ago, where Clark Judge, longtime NFL journalist, polled various NFL historians. And I think it was five, it was five or six of them. And all but one of them had Randy Gratishar as the consensus pick to be the senior nomination or finalist or whatever. So as we said at the time, seems like good news. Seems like the momentum is going his way. But until I see it, I'm not going to believe it because we thought he was going to get in when they did that 100-year, 10-person senior nominee class, and they added a Bears offensive lineman. That you've never heard of. Who shouldn't have even gotten a who shouldn't have even gotten a ticket to get into the hall of fame, let alone get a bust in the hall of fame. So the thing that I, I I just cannot wrap my head around the orange crush defense is considered one of the best defenses in NFL history has no hall of famers. That's just crazy to me. Even the no name crazy. Even the no name defense in Miami has hall of famers. 
And they don't have any names. It's weird. The Purple People Eaters never won a Super Bowl. Multiple Hall of Famers. Multiple Hall of Famers. But the Orange Crush defense, one of the best defenses in history, gave the Broncos a chance in a Super Bowl, their first Super Bowl, by the way, that they should have never competed in, given that the offense had like seven turnovers. It was a lot. And they only gave up 24 points. And by the way, one of those touchdowns to the tight end was not a catch. The NFL still doesn't know what a catch is, but they called that a catch. What does that tell you? Who who was the NFL rooting for in that game? What does that tell you? <laughs> so our fingers are crossed for Randy Gratishar. Get him into the Hall of Fame. He should have been there 25 20, years ago. 30 years ago. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's ridiculous he's had to wait this long. It will be ridiculous if he has to continue to wait. Uh, we could We could get into a discussion about uh, you know, what it would mean for him, what it would mean for the Denver Broncos and the Orange Crush defense, uh, the, the type of look that it might have people, you know, make at that defense. But the truth is the, the man deserves to be in the Hall of Fame and the hope is that he gets in. I'm not going to bring up Dan Reeves and Mike Shanahan, although I did just do that. I will. <laughs> Mike Shanahan should have been in the Hall of Fame. And if he was coaching anywhere else, he would be in. He's a back-to-back Super Bowl champion. Back to back. His offense is still being used by five head coaches in the National Football League. Five. Yet he's not in the Hall of Fame. Bill Cowher is in the Hall of Fame. Nowhere near the level of success as Mike Shanahan. None. None. You cannot tell me that Bill Cowher had the impact on football that Mike Shanahan has had. Maybe the grimace... The chin. He was on TV. He's on and I TV. Think that's, and that's the issue. When you look at, and this is this is my problem with the way that the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is done. When you look at the guys that get in and the guys that don't get in, the guys that get in are guys that are on TV. The reason it took Steve Atwater so long to get into the Hall of Fame is because he had no media presence after his career he kind of just he retired and was done and he had a great career and he was more than deserving but he disappeared it wasn't until he got on the radio and did that show on on uh, koa that we often were on with you know did our interviews with them it wasn't until he's blue radio that's right orange and blue radio it wasn't until he started doing those kinds of things that he gained a little momentum. Same for Terrell Davis. Zero traction for whatever reason. And then he's on the NFL Network. Not even a lot, just a little bit. He's And and I like Terrell Davis, but he's not even very good at it. But gets a little traction and he gets in. Unless you are a guy like John Elway, who doesn't need to have the meat. He, he was so great. He could have, you know flown to another planet he would have got in after his career was over because that's how great he was so those kinds of players that are on that quarterbacks essentially those quarterbacks are going to get in no matter what and then you have other players that that are you know running backs and wide receivers and the wide receivers don't get in when they should ask rod smith who has no media presence 
but deserves to be in. Mike Shanahan isn't on TV. Why? Well, because he's kind of not good at it and because he doesn't want to. And so because of that, he he shouldn't need to. But because of that, he's not going to get in for a while. It's crazy to me that that's how that has to go down. Dan Reeves deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. 100%. And he never had a media presence either. I think he was on TV for a little while, like maybe like one season, and he wasn't very good at it. So he's not going to get in. So is it the Hall of Fame, or is it the Hall of guys that had really good careers but then also did a good job in media? And I think and what the does pro- that say about well, they? They've got to look at that. They have to take a, a an honest look at what is it that allows players like that players that they're not fringe players they're great players but they don't have the popularity from the media presence after their career that other guys have after their careers that's a problem for the nfl in my opinion and for the pro football hall of fame to me the biggest issue is the people who select the hall of fame don't know the game how can you look at what mike shanahan meant to the nfl and I'm taking off my orange and blue orange and blue goggles and realizing what he did as a head coach, as an offensive coordinator. Don't forget, he led Steve Young to his first Super Bowl as an offensive coordinator for George Seifert. It was Mike Shanahan's offense that did that. He led John Elway to his first two Super Bowls. Now, is the argument that he didn't have success in Washington? Well, he led a team quarterback by Kirk Cousins and Robert Griffin III, rookies, to a playoff berth with Dan Snyder as his owner. Dan Snyder, who's now out of the league. But then you look at the coaches who run his offense to this day. Everyone talks about the Andy Reid coaching tree. There are more head coaches in the NFL right now from Mike Shanahan than Andy Reid. Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, uh, what's-his-face up in Green Bay? Matt Flynn. That's the guy in Green Bay. Um, Is it Matt Flynn? It's, I'm that's sure a quarterback. It's, no, that's Jordan. Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur. That's what I'm trying to LaFleur. I knew it was some sort of Matt Flula. We got there. The Bengals head coach runs Zach, a version of the Zach Mike Taylor's offense. Yeah, Zach, Zach Taylor. Taylor. Uh huh. Robert Sala from the Mike Shanahan coaching tree. Absolutely. Nathaniel Hackett runs a version of the Mike Shanahan. Do we offense. want? We don't want to promote that, do we? Well, he still does I mean, it. He still does it. So at, at the uh, the guy that we both like in Miami. Oh yeah, Mike McDaniel. Well, Mike McDaniel was worked with the Denver Broncos. He was a, a ball boy. He was for the a ball Broncos. boy. He's, he's one of Kyle Shanahan's best friends. I mean, uh, it, it direct not not just from the tree, but probably from Mike Shanahan's living room at times. I mean, to me, that's just nuts. It's just nuts. Like there needs to be some barometer for how you're picked to choose Hall of Famers, and. We've said this before, Dan Reeves. If you put Marv Levy in the Hall of Fame, why isn't Dan Reeves? The the team that he led to three Super Bowls in four seasons was nowhere near as stacked as those Buffalo Bills teams. 
nowhere near as stacked. Those teams had John Elway and a great defense. That's it. And don't give me the three amigos. We I love the three amigos, but that's not an all-world wide receiver core. You know, Rick, you, know, you just can't do it. Don't tell me that Steve Sewell was amazing. He wasn't. He was all right. He was or okay. Sammy Winder. Sammy Winder. Just okay. Clarence K. Clarence K. <laughs> How about that name from the back, from the, from the, from the 80s? Clarence K. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Don't look that name up, by Steve the way. Watson. Steve Watson. Yeah, everybody, every, I think every NFL team had a Steve Watson. Not not the same well, name, but a guy who is like, he's a guy, you know, he's that guy. He's a white receiver. You. A white receiver, sure, yeah. But it, it is insane to me. You're right. And and the thing with Dan Reeves that, that really bothers me is that ignore the fact that just to, just just look at his football life in general. You know, the NFL yeah. Network does the, a football life show. Dan Reeves spent his entire life in the NFL. Yeah, Dan Reeves won Super Bowls with the Dallas Cowboys as a player. Dan Reeves was a was a coach for the Cowboys. Dan Reeves took multiple teams, two two teams as a head coach to the Super yeah. Bowl. Let's not forget what he did in Atlanta with that team. Dan Reeves coached in New York and was able to squeeze a little bit of extra out of Kurt Warner. And that maybe didn't work out. Maybe it wasn't great, but is everything supposed to be perfect all the time in the, in a, in a very difficult situation in New York? I don't know. Dan Reeves football life deserves to be acknowledged. His life in the NFL was one that, that spanned the entire breadth of the growth of the NFL into the juggernaut that it became. He played in the league when it was still not as popular as baseball and was coaching in the league when it had become a fantasy football extravaganza that was now the most popular thing in the United States. That is a football life that deserves to be honored and it should be honored. And the the Pro Football Hall of Fame is missing an opportunity because the story you can tell with the, with the life of Dan Reeves, who I know I say sometimes when I'm watching the offense, that's some Dan Reeves BS. It doesn't matter. That guy deserves to be honored for the way that he lived his life as a football guy. Not just the coach, but the player, the assistant, the head coach, the representative of the league as a good person. I, I, I don't understand how you don't want to jump on that. And and you missed the opportunity to give that to him because he passed away. I, I and here angry. You mentioned his football life. He played for Tom Landry, one of the greatest coaches, innovators in the history of the league. Like there's there's Vince Lombardi, and right next to Vince Lombardi, Tom Landry. He played in the Ice Bowl, one of the most famous games in the history of the National Football League with the Dallas Cowboys when they go into a frigid Lambeau field against Bart Starr and Vince Lombardi's Green Bay Packers. I mean, we we talk about John Madden's football life, right, as a coach and then more as a broadcaster. 
Well, how is Dan Reeves' football life any less worth of celebrating? I, I would argue he did it it's as a more. Player. He did it as a player, and he did it as a coach. And he took two teams to Super Bowls. You know what, Dan Marv Reeves Levy took media, a ring. Media presence. No well, media presence. Not, neither did Marv Levy. That's true. It's true. You're right. Neither did Marv Levy. So what? Are, so what are we doing? Well, Marv Levy coached a team that was in New York. It wasn't New York City. It was Western New York, but it was still New York. It was the AFC East, not the AFC West.